This is the Bushwick Variety Show, and I'm Alex Stevens III. Greetings, neighbors, friends, and conscious beings of all various types. Thank you so much for listening to the Bushwick Variety Show. This is episode number 12. I'm releasing this on a Tuesday because today's episode features innovative creative producer and drummer Aaron Walker Loud, who has a show happening tonight, May 15th, at New Blue 151 on Avenue C in Manhattan at 9 p.m. It's organized by his Big World Breaks company and crew. And in this conversation, we talk about all of the musicians who are going to be featured in the show tonight. We talk about his career and the creation and evolution of Big World Breaks and our shared childhood growing up in Seattle. Before I do that, I want to share a preview of the amazing music you're going to hear if you come out to New Blue tonight. 9 p.m., doors open at 8. All that information will be on the show notes. But I'm going to be there, and I think you should be there. And this is a preview of what you're going to hear. This is Riley Mulherker on trumpet and Aaron Walker Loud on drums playing together in the Rack Shack studio for the first time in many years. The music speaks for itself. You want to just do blues and I could go any sort of, any sort of blues if I have to do it. Okay. Whatever. I'm always down for that. We, we were talking about the blues a little bit before, too. Sounds good. Yep. You want to start it off? I'll jump in. Sounds good, bro.
So that was Riley Muherker on trumpet, who you will hear from in a future episode, and you will hear Aaron talk about in this episode, along with Jumani Smith, Carmen Staff, Elizabeth Pupo Walker, Evan Flory Barnes, because all of them and Aaron are playing tonight at New Blue in the show, and we will talk about all of that in this episode. And also, yeah, you should come out tonight to New Blue. Um... 151 Avenue C, 9 p.m. It's going to be a great show. But without further ado, here's my conversation with Aaron Walker Lau. Hello, hello. Aaron Walker Lau, man. How you doing, bro? Oh, man. Just got off the bus from Boston. Waking up, loving the scenery in this beautiful Brooklyn area. It's always good to be back. Have you. Uh, have you spent some time in like uh, New York or or Brooklyn? Yeah, a little bit uh, over the years. I I intend on doing a lot more. Um, for some reason, anytime I come out here, though, Brooklyn seems to pull me in more so than some of the other boroughs, just due to relationships or events or recommendations on where to be or who to connect with. Um, so I'm I'm still exploring that and understanding it. But there's a lot of I mean. You could come here a million times and not see everything in this whole uh, in this whole area, but this is my fourth time coming to New York. It feels like more because I've just had so many beautiful adventures. But um, first time was two thousand one, right after nine eleven. Oh yeah, yeah, like a month after it was October, and um, it wasn't it wasn't intentional to like as a response I had just planned on doing it and I was with I was with a group at the time called the flood my first independent group that I had in collaboration with some really good friends I grew up with and one of our members Jamani Smith was going to school out here he had just moved out here and we had just released our new music and I bought the tickets in August maybe because I wanted to bring our new our new EP out here and connect with him and some other friends from Seattle who are out here. Cause there's so many people from our town who have moved here and become a part of this scene, you know, in social services and community work and music and, and all of that. But yeah. And then I see, you know, I wake up that one morning seeing all the chaos and the destruction on TV and maybe for five minutes I start reconsidering like, Oh, maybe I, Maybe I shouldn't even consider being on a plane or going out there. But then, man, it was like, then I snapped out of it. I was like, well, of course, you know, I want to come, you know, hug these people and, and give them some love and see how they're doing. And so I just had to knuckle up and face whatever issues I had being on a plane and all that after that. And so being in this city for the very first time a few weeks after that happened, I feel like I I got a snapshot of humanity here that um, wasn't like what I had seen on TV, on movies, on media, like the reputation, the stereotypes about people here not looking you in the eye and not caring about who you are if you're not talking about money with them or if you, they don't know you and bumping you in the shoulder and not saying excuse me. Like all the negative stereotypes that New York had garnished through media and over time, like, 
I had so many conversations with strangers on that trip, whether it be on the street or the subway or and so many people who were just open and, and talking about directly what happened or more so just trying to connect to other humans. And, you know, so that was a really powerful time to be here as a kickoff, as an introduction to this place I had heard about from loved ones and family my whole life. And then, um, yeah, and I, I just, I saw some music. I didn't, I didn't hit any stages, but I saw some music, got to connect with some artists and, and get close with some friends and reconnect. And, um, it was a whirlwind. And then, and then there was this huge gap of time and it just stood in the back of my mind, like, okay, I gotta come back here. I'm gonna come back here when the time's right. So flash forward, it was 2016 was the next time I came out. And since then, this is my third trip, you know, in two years. So it's like the rhythm is really hitting now and I'm, you know, focused and I have a lot of progressive things happening with, you know, good people and arts education and music and, and just still in touch with the, my loved ones, you know, all, all my Seattle people who moved out here and new people I've met. And yeah, man, I love this place. Like, and you know, that's why you're here too. There's nothing like it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Um, you, your name has actually probably come up the most, um, in the podcast so far. Like <laughs> sometimes, you know, of course, like with some of the interviews coming up, like intentionally, but like with, Isabella, um, Casa, just different people. Mm-hmm. And when we talk back on Seattle, you're like, uh, you're a connecting like thread for a lot of people, um, in Seattle. So wow. props to you on that, man. Thank Much you. respect. Thank you. Thank you for coming out here. And, yeah. uh, we go way back. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's a trip. Um, we go back to, I was first grade. You and you and Camila were in the second grade. Um, and I was explaining it to like Laura, like you guys were my roll dogs back then, man. Mm. Um, and then our grade school only went to uh, second grade, right? MLK. So you guys went to Madrona, yep. MLK. I actually, he, I don't or, know where he went. I went over to. I know Camilo ended up spending some time in um, in Central America around the that time, but. Yeah, I went to Le- TT Minor and then Leshy. Okay, you know, still all in the same neighborhood. Yeah, you know, but yeah, MLK was a, a beautiful experience. And then you went to Washington, right? Yeah. And then Camilo yeah. went to Washington, or he he. Uh, I didn't actually end up reconnecting with him until high school at Garfield. Yeah, yeah, um, and that's when he picked up the bass. Got you. Yeah, um, but yeah, he actually was, went to my middle school too. But he came like halfway. Like he was, I think he came when he was in eighth grade. That's right. That's um, right. But yeah, was that Noms? Yeah. That, there we go. Okay, of course. And that's how he met a lot of other people we have in common. And I didn't actually even know that you went there. Okay, that makes sense. That's where I met uh, Kelly Montague. Of actually. course, of course. And you and him fall off, you know, the same branch in so many ways, being vocalists and actors and. On the first you know. time we met, we almost got in a fight on the school bus. Of course. <laughs> wow. It was so stupid. Um, the whole, it was so stupid. But again, you know, it's like, that. that's some childhood shit. Like, you yeah. know, fight people and then, but you really, who you really admire, you know, and shit, and become friends like later. Oh, the male ego. But it was, yeah, straight up like <laughs> that kind of thing. Like, who the fuck do you think you are? Who do you think you are? I'm Alex Simmons. I'm Kelly Montague. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was funny. Wild West. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, 
Yeah, man. It's uh, there's a, there's such, and I keep learning about it, but there's a really interesting connectivity between almost like a cultural wormhole, like from New York to Seattle. Yeah, and it's been happening before we were alive, of course, mm-hmm. but in our generation and in the people who are younger, like my brother Avi and some other folks, like it keeps reinventing itself. This connectivity between these two port cities across the entire nation, right? So I'm I'm just fascinated because I I know I know more people in this city than any other city outside of Seattle who are from Seattle. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. And um, Brooklyn specifically, mm-hmm. you know, is the city of Kings, and it's Kings County, and mm, Seattle's oh. in King County. Oh, There's like a bunch of yeah. Of course, I've made those connections. Mm-hmm. And 206, the zip code that I lived like first in Bushwick, one of the main Bushwick zip codes is 11206. So it's so funny, like numbers and connection and vibration. Right, right. right. Um, speaking on that, let's talk a little bit about um, what you're here specifically doing right now, because I think it is about fostering and like showcasing those connections, you know, between yeah. musicians. Um, most now, most of the people in this one. Um, I know Jumani, you have a connection with. Mm-hmm. Like, do you have personal connections with all of the, the the core four? Yeah, yeah. There's and there's a variety there, but um, tag team. The concept around tag team hit me months ago, and I've been thinking about this a long time. But um, you know, everybody has a hard shake. Like vocalists, okay, dancers. Anybody on stage, actors, there's challenges. Mm-hmm. But there's an interesting challenge being an instrumentalist um, that I feel like if we're in the realm of j- a jazz-rooted study uh, or improv music, um, there's so many un- unfortunate barriers that have been created by the Western world, Eurocentric, uh, music business machine around what instrumental music is quote unquote supposed to be and I honestly feel like some incredibly talented artists and I'm not going to name some names and throw people under the bus but like people I look up to as artists I've seen on interviews on Ken Burns specials or media or you know their own articles that they're writing like people are getting duped or tricked into the brainwashing that happens around like how things are created into a product. Mm -hmm. But to me, I think the experience, the human experience of instruments, exchanging ideas in a blend of pre-planned and improvised expression. um, I just want to break all the chains off of any of that. And I say, I, but I want to, help be a part of an effort with other people to do that in a fun way, in a collective way, in a bold way. And this is not to be confused with a concept around like free jazz or 100% improvised freestyle expression, because there is some thought into what we do with tag team. Like what songs are we picking? What songs are we emulating or honoring that are, have been written by other people? What originals are we utilizing? So it's not just completely, making up things on the spot but there's going to be a lot of intensity around listening to each other and having conversation with our instruments and engaging the audience in that as well not necessarily like a jam session or an open mic but like 
how do we get them pulled into it so they don't feel like, okay, there was nine great songs in that set. Applause, applause, applause. Okay, set two. There's 12 songs. You know, like, I, I want them to get lost in it. And I want us to get lost in it. You know, and I feel like tag team in itself, the term, that comes from a, a, just some silly shit. Just like growing up watching WWF and the idea of these two people who are affili- affiliated in a theatric, comedic way in an intense way on the wrestling mat going at each other. And, you know, so that to me, like, and I lost my interest in that stuff long ago. I think even when I just found out that it wasn't real, Mm -hmm. but looking back on it, I was like, okay, that's kind of a funny concept around like, what if you pair two musicians against two others and kind of say these guys versus these guys. And like, you almost kind of stage it in a way where it's like, there's going to be a lot of back and forth and there's going to be moments where, just these two will have their time and the other two leave the stage and, right. they, and they get to flex and enjoy what does that duet feel and vice versa. And then there's going to be times where, you know, it's going all round Robin where everyone's kind of feeding yeah. into it. And this concept around tag team is not necessarily to exclude vocalists. It's starting with a basis of instrumental music, but there's some great vocalists who have some chops like, some skill sets in improvising, which I love the idea of incorporating at some point. And even broader than that, dancers. You know, I want to get more broad with it, but because I'm an instrumentalist and trained in jazz since I was young by Mr. Robert Nat at Washington and Mr. Clarence Acox at Garfield, you know, in the CD where myself and some other good folks grew up, it was just like, it felt natural to start with an instrumental focus. And the connectivity between people who are involved in the first episode I'm calling them episodes like back to that kind of goofy TV uh, inspiration around like staging this concept around verses like tag teams and everything. But, you know, first and foremost, when I thought of it, I knew for a fact that I wanted to have Jemani Smith involved Mm -hmm. and ideally in the kickoff, like involved no matter what. But I want this to be in multiple cities and I want this to be able to happen anywhere in the globe where we can pull people together and create these conversations on stage. Um, the reason why I knew I wanted him to be a part of it automatically was out of all the musicians that I've had the blessing of playing on stage with and recording with, um, he's one of those artists that I look up to in such a high regard due to not only you know, the accolades and success, but really just since day one, since the 90s, when we were kids, he had more work ethic than almost anybody I've ever seen in a craft. And I strive for that. And I'm not there. I want to be there. But his work ethic mixed with his natural talent, that's the most dangerous combination. And I don't need to explain that to you. You already know. You're born with certain things and then you work hard and all that together is just like ferocious. And We've looked up to him, and he was a part of the flood, the group I mentioned earlier, that and that we generated in high school and right after high school, which was a mix of MCs and singers and instrumentalists, primarily from the Garfield and Roosevelt High School uh, sort of training ground. And we, you know, his group from Roosevelt and my group from Garfield would compete for trophies left and right year after year. But the competition really wasn't, you know, 
adversarial. It's like we were pushing each other to be better. So when we started that first group, I immediately reached out to him like, hey, do you want to be a part of the flood? And he was open to it and he did, you know, what he could before he moved out here. And 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 I've seen him grow and grow and grow, you know, just as an artist, but as a father and as a entrepreneur and then getting into vocals, um, which a lot of instrumentalists are never brave enough to do. Right. So he just has stood out to me as this this force that I like any time I can figure out how to be on a stage with that guy, because he always pushes me to be better. In my opinion, he makes me better any time I play with him, you know. Yeah. So I was like, OK, Jamani's going to be a cornerstone to this. And then when I was thinking about the the phases, the waves of talent that have come out of Seattle, another name immediately popped in my head, another trumpet player, back to the tag team idea. I was like, okay, two trumpet players. Who do I want to pair up? So Riley Morehelker, he he, uh, he caught my attention. When, you know, he's way younger than me. And I first saw him when I was, I had a meeting at Garfield, my, our old high school. And I was walking by the band room and I heard this trumpet solo happening through the wall. And I was like, whoa. So I peeked my head in, you know, and, Mr. Acox knows me, so it's not like I felt like I couldn't walk in. So I walked in and took a seat, and I was checking this guy. I was like, who is this trumpet player? So I asked Mr. Acox at the end. I was like, by the way, who is this? And he told me, and um, it turns out he happened to know some of my younger siblings and was connected through some other networks of musicians. So I recruited him when he was 17 or 18, I forget, right off the bat and started putting him on recordings and club shows and and brought him into the Big World Breaks family, like, right off the bat. Um, and it was cool that he was open to it, you know? And because we have a production company format, as opposed to a band, there's no, you know, horn section to be salty, like, oh, who's this new guy? Or, like, wait, there's personnel change. It's literally, like, I have the blessing of having this open format with Big World Breaks, where we see talent, and whether they're an instrumentalist, a vocalist, or multimedia artist, like, we love to get them involved, however we can. So what? Um, let's talk about Big World Breaks a little mm -hmm. bit. Um, yeah. As far as, uh, so the Flood was originally that group, that collective, yes, yes. Um, if you will, and then Flood Studios was that kind of the. Oh, I see. I see where you're going with that. Yeah, there's a progress. Is it kind of an interesting progression? Now, I don't want to get too lost in the sauce. Right. We're talking about like a few decades of of time, but I, I'm happy to connect the dots. Um, yeah, the flood, it was born out of, yeah, like I said, some of the hip-hop artists and jazz artists all kind of, we decided to come together and do our little low-budget, two-bit, like, roots, you know, Rage Against the Machine, yeah. whatever, you know, live music, hip-hop, you know, and we had a lot of training and, and inspiration. That's from, a good, uh, you know. That's an accurate <laughs> um, analogy, I would say, roots, Rage Against the Machine. Yeah, like, yeah, know, the live. A little bit of Hendrix in there, yeah. you know, a little, I mean, we, we had... We had no manager or no even leader amongst us. We were just like super passionate and disorganized, and it was beautiful. And you know, I, I I'm so thankful we got to do it. And that was actually what allowed me to reconnect with Camilo, who you and I grew up with, in a very real way as a bassist and as the foundation of like him and I locking in to try and create these grooves, mm -hmm. right? And then um, there's so many members of it. I don't want to get into all of it, but essentially, a lot of great people we all came up around. We put that together, did it from roughly 99 to 2003. And then by 2004, after several experiences being invited by 
the hip hop dance community to just bring my drums and bring musicians. And I had no name for it. They were just like, come and play for these breakdancing battles or these uh, jams, right? And that was so new to me, the idea of playing for dancers. Like, I knew it happened, but I had never seen it with my own eyes in Seattle. And um, so I started asking the DJs that work with all them, like, hey, can you give me some mixtapes or some, give me some ideas. And of course, I, I had funk and and boogaloo and Latin and, and hip hop and other stuff that I liked, but I didn't want to just come in naive acting like we would right. just pick whatever and the dancers would like it. So I had to like really school myself and get some mentors to help me. Like DV one came in through the clutch, you know, with so much support and information about, you know, music and different ideas and um, the dance crews like BYC Fraggle rock and massive monkeys were primarily the ones that put us on off the bat. Um, which is obviously where I also met your brother and yeah. didn't even know y'all were brothers for a long time until I connected the dots. But so that was that transition in parallel to that one family Inc. We had a studio, uh, which actually is still operational, but at the time it was more of a service business for clients, you know, MCs, singers, um, multimedia, you know, doing various recording services or mixing or editing or production. And that happened for, a while and musicians who were involved with the flood or with big world breaks or these other people kind of got pieced in here and there for various projects. Mm -hmm. Um, after a while, after a few years of that, it became really obvious to me and other people involved in this studio that it wasn't really ideal to have a service, uh, facility operate in a domestic home where I also had family and loved ones and roommates and just that, that didn't really mix very well. And me personally, uh, to just speak for myself, like spending hours and hours making decent money, but engineering other people's work when I was kind of haunted by all this creativity that I wanted to record and produce became a conflict of interest of time. And I started feeling time accelerate, I guess, as growing older. Yeah. You know, so that was that was an interesting parallel. And really all of Big World Breaks or 95 percent of our music has been recorded and uh, mixed and edited there in that same facility, which is still there in the CD. But, um, you know, the, at, out of all of that happening and, and working with the dancers and, and the hip hop scene and um, then starting to get an idea like, wait, I can I can put a name to this. this. This is these. It all seems scattered, but like I can actually put a roof over this, a name, a title and a structure where it was really just a lot of friends and connectivity, like a through line of all these great humans and great artists. So I was in the Pacific Islands, you know, blessed to just have a little vacation with some family around that time in 2004 after the flood had stopped. And and I was like, OK, I need to come back from Kauai, from that island with a title. I need to come back with a concept and not just have it be so random anymore. So Big World Breaks was born out of that. It was like, how can I take all the best things that I love doing? And I didn't even mention it, but a huge part of that is working with youth and families. So arts education and engaging families in the community with the arts and empowering them to do things they like to do and help providing infrastructure or support with artists or teaching artists or various resources. So all of that, the studio, the stage and education that was built into the concept of Big World Breaks, which I officially registered as a business and put it out there in the world in the 2004, 2005 time. And mostly what we did, that was Camilo and I, back to Camilo, the bassist who was also in the flood. He was 
the most consistent member in all of those things we did. We started getting hired by various acts to back them up on stage, you know, as sort of a production, a live production service separate from the dancers. So like, you know, the first few clients we worked with and did some bigger things with like the Blue Scholars and mm-hmm. Chocolate and other various artists in the Northwest who were uh, vocally focused acts as opposed to dance. And after a little bit of that, I was like, well, we need to start defining our own compositions, our sound, like what happens when we decide Big World Breaks is playing and we're not backing up X, Y, Z. Right. So I started being more ambitious to write songs and collaborate and writing songs with other folks. And by 2009, we came out with an album that really is like more of a circus kind of a compilation of just all these different vocalists and instrumentalists. And I love all the material, but... After that, it was like, well, how how could we even tour this and put it on a stage with 52 different people involved in this one project? And so, and I didn't even really have a marketing plan or a business plan behind that recording. It was like, it was like literally like just giving birth, you know, to 19 babies, you know, 19 track album, like, okay, world, here it is. But I didn't even know or think to know how to get it out there, distribution, marketing, whatever. It was, I've been so art driven and I've been kind of st- being scrappy and disorganized around the business. So a lot of that has had to come through time, but it's all been art driven. Um, And how the thing, how it's shifted to the structure that it is now is that another percussionist um, specifically, who's really was consistently making himself available. um, Yvonne Galvez, um, he and Camilo and I had some conversations and I decided to create a structure with their honesty and their feedback. We need more continuity we need more clarity on like what who are we when we're presenting our own work what what's the structure what's the familial um connectivity to the public like how do they know who we are so i created a core and then a support roster so like a circle b circle however you want to look at it right so myself camilo ivan right bass drum set percussion and then a young lady who came kind of way out of left field, Michaela Romero, she did some work with us on the first album um, with cello and vocals and also an incredible dancer and a great teaching artist. And it became really apparent over just a little bit of time working with her that she not only had the versatility and the chops and not just being a vocalist, but being a very well-rounded artist that she would be a really mighty addition to the core, as we call it. So she was the fourth addition right and then my youngest brother Ariel Loud who does woodwinds and keys and piano as he got closer to finishing high school and transitioning to college um I recruited him and asked him I was like how do you feel about being the fifth core member and he was open to it and you know then beyond that um additional relationships and connections come where people get added to the roster and I pull them in you know and um as soon, like I told you, as soon as I saw Riley on stage, you know, our younger trumpet player in our tag team lineup coming up this Tuesday at New Blue 151, um, I just really was excited about the idea of seeing how he and Jamani would sound together because they have similar roots in the training inspiration and they play with so much grit and spirit and and passion when they play. and But they also clearly have versatile backgrounds with like who influenced them who taught them so i just really wanted to hear like like you ever hear those conversations when people are like what would it have been like to see 
Mike Tyson and Muhammad Ali in the ring together. Yeah. You feel me? Like, yep. I feel that way about those two. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, what would happen to hear them together? Yeah. You know, or Bruce Lee and Muhammad Ali. Like, I mean, any kind of like intriguing contrast of like two people together. Um, My brother, Avi Loud, a.k.a. Young Strong, the DJ, obviously my connection to him is he's my brother and I've grown up with him and he inspires me and I hope I inspire him. And we've worked a lot together more on like music videos and short films and other types of projects, but he's been getting more and more back to his music roots. And as a DJ, I've been watching him the last few years, um, just really inspired on what he's doing. So it felt like a beautiful through line. He happened to be available to be out here. The, the most, I would say the most unique or different, um, connection to the tag team lineup of episode one, Elizabeth Pupo Walker, I, to this day, and I don't know if she told you this, but I, to this day, I've never met her in person. Oh, really? Like, we, we've played with a lot of people. We know a lot of the same people. But really, how I've known about her is, like, as a fan. And, like, when I was up in the club when I wasn't supposed to be, 1920, with the fake ID, um, there was something that was going on around that time in the late 90s in Seattle and I don't want to quote years because I'm sure things were going on before this and that movement, but the Jumbalaya uh, improv-based collective and Das Root and um, there was a few other ones, but like there was all these vocalists and instrumentalists who were creating heavy improv-based music that was very multicultural and multi-genre and the audiences reflected that and the music reflected that. And... I got immersed in that scene and the only people I knew as a fan and the only people I knew personally, Darius Wilrich, incredible keyboard player, songwriter, vocalist, teacher. And I knew him from Central, Seattle Central. And I walked into one of the club clubs that night, the 700 Club before it closed down. And I saw some of these guys and I recognized him. I was like, oh man, you know, he was just, you know, teaching our class and he's over here jamming. And I see... Jonathan Moore, Jay Moore, rest in peace. You know? yep. Yeah, and and he's a, a key element to that. Not only as a vocalist, but as a organizer and a, and a promoter. And he had helped the flood um, with so many opportunities when you, we were young and mentored me and, and us and gave us opportunities to work on big stages. And so I saw him and I saw Darius. I was like, wow, okay. Like, I feel at home, even though I kind of like, okay, I'm 19 up in here trying to act grown. But like, I saw that. I was like, okay, cool. I know a couple people on stage. This is exciting. All this stuff going on. And then I hear these congas and I'm like, and I look over and the, it would, the setup was kind of hard to see her. So I had to like squeeze around and find a different angle in the bar. And I was just like mesmerized. I was like, I was like seeing how, cause I, you know, I had never really watched live groups where people are rapping and they had so many instruments and it all worked. Mm-hmm. Like, cause I had seen so many situations, maybe just cause my peers, we all just like to play too much, too many notes and shit gets busy and vocalists can't be heard. And, but it, they were more mature and refined artists in that scene, of course, veterans, you know, and just hearing how she applied her percussion style styles to, you know, this person would get up and sing and then the beat would change and this person would rap and then they would do this, you know, funk disco thing. And like, she was just like, seamlessly float through all of that and everything she was doing would just enhance every moment. And I was like, damn, I was like, that is the first time I've seen a percussionist outside of like jazz or Latin jazz apply their concepts to this 
I would say more uh, mainstream or popular music format with vocalists. So I just took note of that and I was like, okay, she's amazing. I hope I get to play with her someday. And we're talking about 99, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like decades ago. And I followed her work as a fan, seeing how she got her things going on there. And then she relocated and I, you know, I've been seeing video clips and other people sharing her stuff of her working with Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings and all kinds of cool world music projects of various types. And and then I was like, okay, well, it can't hurt. You know, why not just reach out? I literally just sent her a Facebook inbox message out of the blue. She doesn't know me for shit. And I'm like, hey, <laughs> this was like a few months ago, man. And I was like, I gave her a shortened version of that story. I just said, I'd love to play with you. Are you open? What are you doing on the 15th of May? You know? Mm -hmm. And she was so sweet and gracious and just, you know, wanted to clear some logistics up. And she was open to how strange and unique the concept was. Like, okay, yeah, more improv, more conversation, more uh, experimental approach. And so I, I'm just thankful that, you know, like I said, I've never met her in person. But I, she went out on a limb and said yes to this invitation. So for me, it's like I'm getting to play with someone who's been you know, I've been admiring since I was young. I've never met. So it's kind of like it gives me that good. I wouldn't say nervous, but kind of like it's like, OK, I better rise to the occasion because I've been fanning on her. And I'm like, OK, now I'm going to get to be on stage with her for the first time ever with my guys I grew up with. So it's going to be a really interesting, like emotional, you know, moment for me. So I, I look forward to getting lost in that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Nice, man. Um, So that's exciting. That's that's, of course, the purpose of the, well, that's what brought us together to have this conversation today is that tag team show, new blue, um, one fifty one Avenue a C C Avenue C. Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean, everybody's got phones and shit. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, look it up. Yeah. Yeah. Tuesday like you do night. everywhere you go. Right. New blue NYC. Right. Tuesday night. Um, doors open at eight. Mm -hmm. I'll be there. Of course you'll be there. Yeah. Um, so, uh, when did you start drumming? Wow. Um, well, third grade at TT Minor, there was a music uh, teacher who, and no disrespect, I honestly forget his name because it was a situation where they only gave us the class like once every two weeks yeah. or once a month. It was really not a music program. It was right. like brief exposure here and there. But he showed a video of some drummers and dancers during carnival in Brazil. And then he had one busted goofy looking conga and he let the kids one at a time come up and spend a few seconds making noise on it. So when I saw the video and by that age, I was starting to definitely become more and more aware of women as a fascination. Mm -hmm. And so the video with these incredible dancers and how they interacted with the drums and then just seeing how the drummers had that power to like inspire people to move and then just hitting the conga drum with no idea what I was doing. But like that was a really interesting connecting piece leading up to that. I was obsessed with DJs and beat producers and beatboxers like, you know, listening to Run DMC and Public Enemy and Jazzy Jeff and, you know, um, that all of that stuff had made me think that, OK, I want to make beats or DJ or do something to support rappers. Cause I saw the connectivity of like, they can ignite the audience and connect the vocalist to the audience. And I didn't want the shine. I didn't want to be the coolest guy in the room. Cause I 
was the goofy chubby white kid in the cd in the early 80s which is like there's no way to be cool so it was like how can i fit in but not demand so much attention the way that some of my friends who like to rap they like to freestyle so i was like okay well so i started experimenting with beatboxing listening to ready rock c on the b side of he's the dj i'm the rapper you know from fresh prince and jazzy jeff and and the fat boys you know like the beatboxing and that element and 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 some of the live clips of Terminator X cutting and spinning and introducing, you know, Chuck D to the crowd. All those moments on tapes made me feel like uh, a Jam Master J on Run DMC. Like I just all of that was like, OK, I can be in the mix. I can get some attention, but like it's less pressure. It's more like I just need to make sure the beat is hard and the beat steady. And I felt comfortable with that. So I started beatboxing on the playground, hitting the lunch tables, of course while the friends would, you know, rap or do whatever they were doing or try and sing out of pitch Bobby Brown songs and impress the girls or whatever <laughs> we were doing, you know. And then, then I hit the drum in that music class, saw the video with the carnival and, you know, um, got caught trying to scratch my family's vinyl and my mo- at my mom's house specifically. And she was like, well, what the hell are you, you know, that's her precious vinyl. And I, you know, didn't really know that I could mess it up. So, you know, all of that directed me to, taking snare drum lessons at Lesh Elementary School, still in the Central District, um, fourth and fifth grade, still very limited, like it wasn't even too much. So, and I, was, I wasn't I was sold on it. It felt, it didn't feel like that magical feeling I thought I was gonna have when I'm watching these videos on Yom TV raps and hearing these things, you know, on albums. It was like, okay, I'm sitting here with these two sticks and this clunky single snare drum. So it still was like, okay, it's fun, but and then just, you know, like a lot of people might say to you, whoever worked with Mr. Nat, and then I met Mr. Nat, right? Sixth grade at Washington. He scared the shit out of me so much I tried to quit twice because he was he held me more accountable than any adult had in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, even the strictest grandfather or strictest teacher I'd ever had, he had, no one had ever held me accountable to, like, doing what I said I was going to do. Meaning, like, are you going to go home and get this improved and come back and show that you improved it the next day? And I had never felt that pressure. And I was intimidated by it. My excuse was, oh, he's mean. But my dad wasn't having it. He was like, well, let's get to the bottom of this. So luckily, my dad was willing to go and have a meeting and sit down with him, just the three of us. And I went through that roller coaster a couple times in sixth grade, just not taking the pressure. But then all of a sudden, I started to realize, like, as soon as I proved to him that I had done work, the smile that he would have on his face and the the acknowledgement where he would show me he had recognized my hard work and, and what had happened because of that. It, it was like a feeling I had never had before. And I was like, Oh, okay. This might be a lifestyle for me, you know, like, and I knew older drummers who were playing in the jazz band on drum set. And I wasn't doing that yet. I was just in concert band. I was like, Oh, that sounds good. Like being able to play on the drum set. So seventh grade got into the junior jazz band. I, uh, my family luckily gave me the, opportunity to spend my own money on drum equipment so i really appreciated it and so i had saved up for years 250 dollars in this credit union i didn't know what i was going to spend it on but you know mowing lawns babysitting whatever they're like we'll put up 250 you put up the other 250 and we'll get you this used drum set from this one guy you know they saw the ad so i got that and i was wailing on it every day mostly copying hip-hop beats that i was listening to from like nwa ice cube you know, the James Brown chops, the, yeah, the, the Clyde Stubblefield great. chops from the bomb squad that worked with, you know, Ice Cube and Public Enemy back then and 
all that stuff, right? Um, but the still the connectivity, even playing jazz, didn't. It still felt like two different worlds. It's like the school mm-hmm. musician Aaron, and then there's like after school beatboxing and hitting drums and and hanging out with friends and watching Yo TV raps Aaron. And it, it still it was fun, but it didn't. And then I heard my mom got me this Jimi Hendrix CD, right when CDs were first like actually being publicly available, and she showed me a picture of him at that spot up by 34th and Union. Like, hey, he grew up in this neighborhood. Did you know, you ever heard about him? Uh, I don't know, you know. And of course, when, you, when you're 13 and your mom's trying to tell you to listen to something, it's not necessarily the most exciting thing, but I was like, oh, okay. So I sat down with it and immediately noticed the drums. I mean, I was more drawn to, you know, Mitch Mitchell and all his crazy drum fills and his beats. Like, that kind of caught my attention. But then Red House, the blues song, um, I heard it once and I got up off the couch and I hit repeat and I just sat there. I don't even know how long, but it might have been an hour or two with Red House on repeat. And it was a, a specifically a blues song, 12-8 feel, 12 bar progression. And something about the emotion in the guitar playing and the way the drums, the way Mitch Mitchell was rocking with him. And Hendrix, finally, I felt like my ears started to open a little bit. I was like, oh, wow. I was like really getting moved by it. And then all in that, I don't know if it was all that day, but it really feels like the biggest turning point as a seventh grader being like, you know what? I don't give a fuck what other people tell me I should like or not like my friends. Oh, you should listen to this or that's whack. Or you shouldn't like it. Literally listening to Hendrix in that moment connected the dots between blues and the jazz that Mr. Nat was trying to teach me and the connectivity of blues and jazz, the connectivity of uh, individualized expression and improv and as a drummer, how can you, how can you, add fire to that when there's a melodic improviser, you know, doing their thing, and losing my concern over my peers telling me what's cool to listen to or not? Like it literally all happened like a tornado, off of that experience listening to Red House. And so, between Jimi Hendrix and then Mr. Nat's tough love and patience all through middle school, I feel like. That's when, although I played drums since I was in third grade, mm-hmm. seventh and eighth grade is when I finally like got the tattoo on my heart. It was like, okay, this is for life now. Yeah. You know? It's funny you're talking about that Red House and that listening to hip hop and it starting to connect. And like hip hop to me, like, like explaining that to people who aren't really into it, it's like jazz and blues are very much. Um, newer like american music forms um and i think hip-hop is kind of the the evolution very much from jazz funk and blues um, oh yeah no like doubt. hip-hop i think of course like those tracks you were listening to um we didn't know when we were hearing them when we were kids uh the the dr dre beats in particular all of those are you know it's all funk it's all mm. heavy james brown funk specifically um but like yeah hip-hop to me, as far as like lyricists and stuff like that, it's kind of um, a new form of like rapping is basically jazz. Like it's, per, you know, it's like rhythmic mm-hmm. jazz riffs just with like rhymes and shit like that. Right, um, right. But yeah, so it's, it's interesting, all of those things yeah, coming those, together. Those and, conversations didn't happen as much as far as like, 
really or at all with the mentors and educators we had. We had to make those connections ourselves. Yeah. For the most part, I would say. Well, we grew up with it. Like right. it's our, you know, hip hop is our, like that's our. We grew up with it. You know, mm-hmm. we're kind of born, born with it. Mm-hmm. Um. So. Um. Don't know where I want to go from here, man. That's this uh, a lot. Um. So big world breaks now. Mm-hmm. Um. How, because we talked about like the history and like how it all found it, but how does it work now? That's a great question. <laughs> and it's ever evolving, but it, but there are phases um, that we go through. There's, there's a really interesting crossroads we're at. Like we're on the brink of moving a lot of things out into the public um, and breaking out of our Northwest um, sort of Zorro status. Mm-hmm. Like, people know of us or have heard of us but at most it's like a rumor or a recognition or an anecdotal story it's not like oh these guys are doing it and they're touring it because i haven't pushed us into that upper echelon yet of getting in everyone's face in the industry and in the national and international markets and if i could go back in time would i have put more of a gas pedal on that probably but i guess it just took time for me to not only align the core of the artists I mentioned before, Camilo, Ariel, Michaela, Ivan, and, and all these new relationships and committing to, you know, wearing those, those three pillars on our shoulders of stage, studio, education, community, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's finally at that point where two years ago I stepped away from doing really any salary work and I had for a very long time in various capacities within arts education, you know, being a childcare director, a trainer. And then after Mr. Nat allowed me to take over the drum line at Washington Middle School, then years and years after that, being an education director and a band leader of all these different programs, I finally decided, well, after getting more and more relationships through Big World Breaks with these schools and these youth programs, I decided, okay, I'm just going to step out on my own and hunt everything I eat and and take that risk. So two years ago, um, I had a lot of light bulb moments and I was like, oh, I'm gonna step back and take this risk. And so what that risk entails is allowing Big World Breaks to grow through just my 100% committed time. Mm-hmm. How, how often are we in the studio composing together and writing new material? How ambitious am I being to develop relationships, to lay groundwork, to be able to travel and perform and work with youth and communities in other cities in other countries so we're sitting here now sort of two years after that major change in my life and then as the director of big world breaks how does that affect us well we're sitting on a large body of original music that has been in the crock pot and my goal and i don't i wish i had a an official date for your fans of the bushwick variety show to share now but all i can say is our hope is to have our first batch of new music come out uh, sometime in the summer or the fall. Um, and what I'm looking at doing, and without committing myself to it exactly, and it's going to be a lot more clear sooner than later, but I want to do a series of EPs, multiple chapters of an evolving project, which will then be a culminating sort of Indiana Jones or a Star Wars or a Lord of the Rings kind of situation where you have over a couple years these installments, these chapters, multiple EPs. Right. So 
I have three chapters now, right? And they're getting they're getting polished. And so I'm so excited to share this new music. And, you know, we've spent so much time working in the community, working on education projects and supporting other people with their events, at, you know, backing up other vocalists and artists and dancers. So it'll be really nice to like hit everybody with a big collection of music. The last album we put out was 2009. And then we've put out several singles and music videos since then. Um, Golden Love, Closer to Us, Timeless. Um, and so progressively, Timeless was the last one that came out in 2016 when I made that big transition. And when I made that big transition, one of the first things I wanted to do was come back out here. Because like I told you back in 2001, when I was here for the very first time in New York, I was like, okay, I know I need to come back at the right time. I don't know when it's going to be. But in 2016, when I unleashed myself on the world as a 100% entrepreneur, no longer you know, tied to other organizations in that way, I was like, New York is where I have to start and get my head back in the game. And so I got reconnected with Jamani, got reconnected with Riley, got uh, reconnected with a lot of other good folks out here and spent three weeks just soaking it up, you know, back in 2016. And at that time, I allowed my brain to really like be free and see, okay. And I came up over time with this concept of the multi EP release and I also be began working on the groundworks of wanting to do arts residencies with youth and community in New York and then in the Bay Area. So I've been doing a lot of work uh, in collaboration with artists and conversations with organizations that work with youth in San Francisco and Oakland. And I just came from New Orleans Jazz Fest that happened a week ago. And that hit my heart and my soul heavy. And that place, we could go on for, like, episodes about New Orleans. But essentially... I haven't been there yet. That's, like, oh, high man, on the we, we got to go there together yeah. someday. Not that I'm going to be a tour guide because I'm getting to learn it. But I'm, I'm just saying it's, like, watching people experience that place for the first... You know, when you see somebody you know and care about seeing something that you really care about. Yeah. I mean, you know how we like to watch movies with someone. we already seen it. But, like, on a whole other level, like, seeing New Orleans, man. Anyway, I'm hope, I hope I'm able to be down there with you, but... So that it was clear to me that that's that's the fourth home base vortex like Seattle, New York, Bay Area, New Orleans. So that's that's big world breaks uh, national plan. The four yeah. corners, you yeah. know, the wet, you know, West Coast, Northwest, Northeast and the South. And we have a lot of relationships in these areas. And another thing that's significant to me about those particular places is these are particularly areas where like the genius of pan-african music you know carried forward by multiple generations of survival of people who were scattered all over the world from africa ended up in unique collaborative communities in the arts in the culinary arts in dance in social justice struggle in innovative education all these things and what was born out of some of these places is forever impacting me and, and haunting me in a beautiful way. Like, okay, obviously gospel blues merging together and coming out with jazz in New Orleans, right? And then what evolved in New York out of that in the Harlem Renaissance and then everything leading up to hip hop as we were talking about. And then in the Bay Area, there's a crazy entrepreneurial, entre entrepreneurial spirit that specifically I've been more aware of coming out of 
you know, people like E-40 and other independent hip-hop artists, but also just, like, if you look back to times before we were alive, what groups came out of there were so interculturally infused with the music, like War, one of my biggest influences, and Big World Breaks being inspired by what happens when you combine the uh, pan-Latin and pan-African influences of, like, gospel, soul, funk, salsa, cumbia, and all of those things coming together. And a lot of our Big World Breaks original music has... Um, has intentional honoring and, and showing respect to how can those things come together. So, you know, War, uh, Mandrill, um, and then you look at Sly Stone coming out of the Bay Area. Yeah. You know what I mean? The Black Panther Party coming yeah. out of the Bay Area. You know, and I'm telling you things you already know, but it's just like, it, it's just so fascinating to me. And then New Orleans and New York, I mean, you see, so these, these places, like they're port towns, they've been culturally revolutionary in a, in a sense of just humanity and social justice, a lot of important things have happened in these places too. And you also have a lot of really connected issues going on with black and brown people being continually displaced and oppressed, but really creative and innovative fights for justice happening nonetheless against this gentrification. And then in New Orleans, obviously the post-Katrina stuff you know, so it's just like these are really important areas for me and my music family. Big World Breaks for us to put our heart and our mind to like how can we leverage our relationships, our talent, our resources, you know, our time to connect people, to help with healing, to help with bringing, you know, more uh, awareness and relief and resources and empowerment to the people who are losing their jobs or being displaced or being outpriced or outrented. All these situations going on between these four cities have so much in common. So, yeah, I mean, Big World Breaks being on the verge of this new music, kicking off this tag team uh, series, which the next couple will be in Seattle and in the Bay Area, you know. Um, and we're hoping to have some arts residencies and you know, these four locations developing where we could spend two weeks or a month, you know, entrenched in collaboration with teaching artists in these various areas and, and learning from them as we collaborate and hopefully bringing youth from these other places back to Seattle where they can meet our youth in collaborative exchange. You know, Internet first, of course, take advantage of that. But when we get the budget and the momentum, yeah, let's take youth from these four corners and, and help them develop relationships as artists, as young activists. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Nice. Um, just thinking ahead, of course, I have a connection to Amsterdam. Have you been out there? With the Garfield Jazz Band in 97, we were blessed to do this tour. Now, they only let us hang out for one hour in Amsterdam. <laughs> you know, chaperones and all that. But we kicked it in Rotterdam mostly. Yeah. Anyway, beautiful. And I, I need to learn so much more about it. But I know you've been there. Right? Yeah. A um, bunch of times. But just thinking for the future... Um, places like it's a it's a good music um artistic rich fertile like place um so I, I definitely think um there's people like there's some people i know people you should meet and collaborate with but also i think you could easily create an audience there hmm. um it's so just I know you have, you know, I know we have these four corners, but I know you're hey, thinking international. But you know where my head's going. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, you know, and I'm not so territorial like U.S. first then. No. Yeah. But, you know, in a way, I feel like, you know, there's a natural stepwise motion and, and 
being spread too thin. So I think once we get our traveling chops up and our, yeah. our budgetary analysis on being able to manage the, the, the out of town things. Oh man. And yeah. this episode, like the new blue show mm-hmm. also, I like, I, I get, I, I get what you're, you know, picking up what you're putting down. Like the new mm-hmm. blue show is also sort of, it's a part of the bigger, like, it's like a way the new blue show is kind of like a way, one way of like introducing, like this isn't specifically big world breaks, like as you were saying, like mm-hmm. originals, but it is kind of introducing New York, like to you, and mm-hmm. that you're gonna be doing innovative um, things. You're gonna be creating and presenting innovative things in right, different right. ways. And this new blue show is like a glimpse into yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a new it's a new chapter, and I it's its I'm, own thing, but yeah, right. It's it's basically a parallel creative initiative. Yeah, in our larger campaign of all this activity we've been discussing. So, it, Big World Breaks presents tag team episode one. That it's intentional because otherwise it would have been like Big World Breaks on stage with because right. that that would be slightly different. You know, yeah. you would see some other more uh, familiar faces from the Big World Breaks lineup, although. I think it's beautiful to see that I was able to secure two members, three members of the current Big World Breaks roster, which is Jamani Riley and Avi Loud, aka Young Strong. Mm-hmm. But but much more highlighted in a you know a creative conversation concept as opposed to Big World Breaks doing all of our own music for an hour and a half or something like that. Right. And and so the nice thing to me about tag team is I can highlight artists more so than a a, a group. Right. You know what I mean? So it's so flexible. So if we do it, if we do episode nine in Amsterdam, you know, who are you going to help us get together with, for example? And it's so open ended, you know, and when I go down to the Bay Area, I already have people in mind that I've been working with, you know, um, Ajay Jackson and and, um, and Jire Funk. You know, they've been working with me. They're based down in the Bay and I hope to get them involved in in episode two or three down there. And I haven't even talked about them yet, but uh, you know what I'm saying? So like new, as the roster grows, as the relationships grow, we can keep throwing these episodes together in an intentional way to help merge the connectivity of Seattle to whatever other city we're in to really honor the people that are already there doing it and like mix it up. You know? Yeah. When you, whenever you want to go to Amsterdam, let me know. Also, I'll let you know I'm going to New Orleans. I think um, we got to do both. On, Let's on make these. it happen. Um, I'm spacing on my my buddy's name Bart, and I'm spacing on his like I know Bart, but I can't I'm spacing on his last name. And he has a project, but he's a he plays keys. I think mm. he plays a bunch of instruments. Um, he sings also. He has a project. Um, mm-hmm. Him and his wife. Um, and yeah, I got to connect to you after, and I'll shout him out properly in, right the, on, right in the intro or outro. Right, Bart, I look forward to meeting you someday. God willing, let's do it. Um, <laughs> We could go on and on. I think um, right now is probably a pretty good spot to kind of pause um, this conversation. Right, I definitely right. want to have further conversations with you in the future. Definitely keep me posted also on what you're up to and when these uh, other like these episodes, these chapters yeah. of Big World Breaks um, music comes out. Oh, I'll yeah. definitely keep people posted on that. Um, is there anything else though that you want to talk about? Well, I I think that, uh, I'll just, I'll just reflect on, um, something that happened just a few days ago that I would just share more so like for you and I and any of the creative people out there, whether you're 
monetizing it or you're just trying to find a way to be creative, you know, and uh, I didn't think about this ahead of time, but since you asked me, so part of the reason why I'm even out here and why I decided to do this event, a tag team episode one in New York, is that our youngest brother in my blood family, who's also a core member of Big World Breaks, Ariel Loud, just graduated from the Berkeley School of Music um, a few days ago. I was at the graduation last night. And it's a big moment for the family. We all came together. And as soon as I got the tickets and I was like, okay, Avi and I, you know, we're going to be out here anyway. So I was like, okay, maybe I can produce an event. So all that was already in plans before the tag team at New Blue was going to happen. I was like, all right, maybe it's a good time to just hop up to New York and try and throw a show and do something unique. Um, so that all happened, but like, I wouldn't even have been out here. I wouldn't be sitting with you today if my brother hadn't hustled hard for four years, getting this double major at Berkeley. Like that's why I'm on the East coast right now. And I was at this graduation and, um, obviously watching my youngest sibling walk down the aisle, working harder than almost anybody I've known doing a double major at a really rigorous school. That's inspiring in itself. And that was powerful and, and much love, Ariel. Congratulations on that. Congrats. Look, yeah. Look forward to celebrating with you when you have less on your mind. Um, and I'm, I'm watching all this happen, all these young people and an incredible young student. I wish I remember her name from Kenya. She was chosen as a, one of the graduates to speak and she had some really heavy words that she shared with the audience specifically about the responsibility of you know helping connect people around the world and helping people find out who they are either if you're working with them or they're just observing your art and that was just heavy to hear a young woman you know of that age just be so ahead of her time and and that's part of why I love working with Big World Breaks is we get to bring in young talent and all of our students we work with and and I'm constantly learning and being inspired by the younger generations on their views on politics, their views on society and, and the arts in general. And it was it was capped off for me. And in in, I, I would say it was really not capped off. It was really gathered in a powerful moment where an incredible artist, Esperanza Spalding, uh, she received an honor, honorary doctorate as a part of the production. And she spoke to the audience. And she improvised her speech. She said she didn't plan. She just wanted to speak from the heart and share truth. And I'm not going to say I could quote an exact line from her because it was honestly, it was powerful and overwhelming, but I wasn't taking notes. And I was like, okay, here's something I'm going to say when I talk to Alec. But what I think, I guess I want you and I and everybody else who listens to this to think about is when we're, when we're caught up in the realm of month to month survival, paying bills, trying to garnish attention through marketing and sales and you know ticket sales and spins on on these different streaming services like the competitive nature and how it's and and through the market of survival and currency capitalism pre-capitalism anything that has to do with like the monetization of skill set and survival and people like living or dying off the ability to have money in their bank account all of that honestly has clearly affected the arts as a whole. And in some ways, yes, it's maybe pushed us to be more vigorous and intentional and work hard and be competitive. But in so many other ways, it's uh, taken away from the real virtue of what rhythm and melody and movement um, come from, from humanity, which is 
and, and I don't need to tell you, but let's let's just like remember though that when elders were passing away, when babies were born, when seasons were changing, when the crops were blooming, like this is this is what song and dance were, was for. You know what I mean? To honor life, to honor death, to honor ancestors, to connect people, to bring peace where there was pain, you know? And so am I saying that tag team is like suddenly the champion of returning to the roots of what music is for? No, not at all. We're one drop in the ocean of millions of people trying to figure out how to reconnect to that. And it's not just in the arts, but it's easy for us to relish in that because that's who we are. Mm -hmm. So all I would say is if you ever see us on stage, if it's this Tuesday night or any other time or you hear our recordings, if you feel like we're doing something that's good for your heart or your soul, let us know and let us know why or how. What are we doing? If you ever feel like Big World Breaks and everybody we're working with, we, if we ever miss the mark and you ever feel like we're mission shifting and we're trying to be trendy and we're on that bullshit, let us know and let us know why. Like the public and other artists, please hold us accountable. This is a responsibility that I couldn't even really put into words. But essentially what we know is that we're we're so haunted by these rhythms and melodies that we had no choice but to find an instrument, find an avenue to do something about it. Once we got trained and, and more mentored and getting some affirmation and making money off, it was like, okay, this could be a lifestyle. So now we're at that point. But now we're going to be, quote unquote, competing against the international and national markets. As I'm saying, we're getting ready to release all this new music and do all these new ambitious things. But like none of that shit matters to me if we're not really help, you know, helping to bring healing and emotional quality and spiritual quality and love to other people who are experiencing it live or on the recording or in our classrooms that we work with or the other artists that we support. Like none of it matters if we're not bringing that human quality. And when Esperanza Spalding was speaking last night, I felt like it was so beautiful that I got to witness that before I hit the stage Tuesday with, with my people. Because, you know, I've been on the computer for months handling all the logistics. But if I'm not coming to that stage on Tuesday night with, without my, if I'm not bringing my spirit and my emotion, then none of it matters. You know what I mean? So sitting back and hearing her wisdom and seeing thousands of young people applauding and getting teary-eyed, and myself too, I was like, yes, thank you, Miss Spalding. It's like, yeah, we really need to always remember why we're really doing this. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so I guess that was just like a, a thought that I wanted to share because it's so fresh on my heart and just like, yeah, you know, let's survive, let's hustle, let's compete, let's do it big, let's tour, let's try and see if we can get a Grammy in our lifetime, whatever. But really, when I talk about breaking the Eurocentric chokehold off of music, what that means to me is it's just like, you know, the business side of it, the market side of it, the hustle side of it, it affects a lot of us and it can make some of us cynical or even just watered down, you know? So like all I can say is I want you, Alec, and everybody out there, whether you know me or not, just always be honest with us and let us know if we're doing it right, if we're hitting it right, or if we sound like we're on some watered down fake shit, like don't ever hold back because you all have to hold us accountable because we're trying to share our love, you know? And uh, just like in a marriage or in, you know, brother to brother relationship, like if we're not being honest, that's where that's where the darkness can come in. So we just got to keep that light and be honest. 
Nice. Well, man, I'm super honored to have you here. Um, I'm proud of everything you're doing. Been proud of everything you've been doing, doing good work in Seattle, and I'm glad um, it's coming out to the broader world. Um, Do you have any – you just shared a bunch, but do you have any final final thoughts? Well, um, just how you can stay in touch with us. Like, you know I'm saying? Hold us accountable so you can hit us up, you know, tag us, send us inbox messages or emails. But the way to stay in touch with us best, we got bigworldbreaks.com. Uh, we're on Instagram, Facebook. Um, we're, like I said, going to be doing more of the tag teams. Look out for that later in the summer and the fall in Seattle and the Bay Area. And uh, to be continued on what we're doing in New Orleans. And as far as that new music. Uh, we'll definitely make sure to let everybody know. Like I said, summer, fall, we're going to have that first chapter come out. Um, and I'm just really looking forward to seeing what you can do with the Bushwick Variety Show to help, uh, you know, fight through the the smoke and the mirrors to help more, you know, people learn about real artists and real independent, you know, entrepreneurs. And so I'm really excited to see what you're doing and connecting so many different people through this independent medium because, this is the day and age of the underdogs coming back up, you know, for air and really grabbing a hold of this independent market. And I'm so happy to see someone I've grown up with doing it big and being ambitious. So y'all got to support this podcast and let them know as well, you know, and hold us all accountable. And um, I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens in the rest of the year. And um, if I can make it happen, I'd love to be out here once or twice a year to keep mixing it up with you and everybody out here and, yeah, the the future's bright, you know. Yes, sir. Well, thank you very much, brother. And uh yeah. I'll see thank you at you. New Blue and hopefully I'll see a bunch of you at New Blue as well. All right, yeah, Tuesday night, May 15th, New Blue 151, Big World Breaks presents Tag Team Episode 1 featuring Jamani Smith, Riley Moherker, Elizabeth Pupo Walker, myself Aaron Walker Loud, and we got Young Strong on the ones and twos and special guest artist Mind Blowing. That could be another episode. Evan Flory Barnes on bass and Carmen Stoff on keys. My goodness, man. It's about to go down. It's about to go down. Yep. Peace. So that was Aaron Walker Loud, Big World Breaks. You might notice that my outro music sounds a little bit different today. That's because I thought it was only fitting to go old school and play the same track over again like an old school radio host. If you are in New York, you should come out to New Blue tonight and check out episode one of Big World Breaks Tag Team. Um, But wherever you are, connect with your fellow artists. Connect with the people in your world who are doing the kinds of things that you want to do. That's really all it comes down to. Do what you love, connect, and contribute to the world around you. Thank you very much for listening to the Bushwick Variety Show. The show notes, all the info about Big World Breaks, all the musicians and everything happening, that'll be on the show notes page. Thank you very much for listening. Have a good one. Peace.